Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video or online at fellowshipgj.com. Or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. powerful things. If I say a name, automatically it brings up a mental image for most people. And attached to that is what they do for a living or their reputation, their character, and some of their accomplishments. For example, if I were to say the name John Elway, instantly a picture comes to your mind. You think Denver Broncos football, you think championship, you think of all the Super Bowls he won, and you maybe picture him holding the football, going back, and you hope it's gonna go long past to the end zone. But if I were to say the name Simone Biles, a completely different image would come to your mind. You would picture an American gymnast with the flag behind her and gold medals wrapped around her neck, maybe mental health supporter, but each name has, carries with it a reputation. So if I were to say the name John Lennon, you would think Beatles. You maybe would picture the music or the song that, that he wrote with the Beatles that you loved, or maybe where you were when you heard that song for the very first time. Or if I were to say the name Dr. Phil, if I were to say Dr. Phil, you would think America's therapist, or maybe his catchphrase would come to mind, how's that working for you? Um, but either way, you would think bald guy who gives the best advice. No, <laughs> not, <laughs> not that bald guy who gives the best advice, the other bald guy who gives the best advice. But with each name attached to it is their authority, their character, what they're known for, and what they do. So when we say the name of the Lord, what are we saying? We're saying the most sacred and holy name on the planet. Psalm 8 verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. God's, God's name is so big and so powerful that it literally cannot fit on the planet. It overflows into the heavens and beyond. But it doesn't just mean power and maj majesty. It also means safety and security, especially for those who know him well enough to run to him for safety. Proverbs 18 says, The name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. So as we continue in this series, Same God, New Me, we're taking a look at who God is, who he's always been. Because the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're looking at who God is because as we look at who he is, we start to realize that he's the one that we've been searching for all along. He's the hope that we need, the help that we need, the salvation that we need. He's the very one that we need. The Bible says it this way in Philippians chapter 2. It says, 
Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so if you can name your problem, your worry, your fear, your heartache, if you can name it, his name is automatically above it. At the name of Jesus, cancer has to bow. At the name of Jesus, addiction has to bow. Anxiety must bow. Fear must bow. Loneliness must bow. At Jesus' name, heartbreak has to bow. Grief has to bow. Depression, any one of these things must bow at the name of Jesus because they cannot stand in the presence of King Jesus. We all face very real problems. And if, if I'm honest, sometimes when I'm facing a problem, this is what I do. I start thinking about the problem. And as I think about the problem, my mind automatically starts going to like worst case scenario, what's going to happen? And then the next worst case, and then what if this? And worry and fear just start adding to my thinking. And so pretty soon I've magnified my problem into a much bigger problem than it already was. But what I should be doing is the opposite. Instead of magnifying my problem, what I should be doing is thinking about my God. I should be thinking about what he, he does, what he says, what his reputation is, and all the promises backed by his great name. And in that way, I'm magnifying God instead of magnifying my problem. I must refuse to name and complain about my problem. Rather, I have to choose to name and proclaim the name of my God over every problem. In our minds, sometimes a human being, there's no way that we can really understand God. We can't really even get our thinking on our best day around the fullness of who God is. And this is why he reveals himself little by little, piece by piece, to us through the scriptures. Every time he introduces himself through a story in the Bible, we start to understand him in a different way. So if God is this huge concept if we know him from this story, we might have light shined onto his character from this side, but if we hear this story, or this one, or this one, then all of a sudden, as we're learning the names and who God is and how he reveals himself through scripture, we start to see him like a flashlight shined on a problem from all different angles. Let me break it down to you this way. Pastor Hooper could be called many things, but if I want a letter of reference for grad school, I'm best off calling him Dr. Reverend Daniel C. Hooper Sr. Because that's his fanciest, most intellectual sounding name. But if I want free lunch, I'm going with Pop Pop every day. Because his grandpa side is most likely to get me free lunch. If I need like some business insight, I'm gonna approach him as a CEO. If I'm looking for sage advice, I'm gonna recognize him as a holder of a doctorate in marriage and family therapies. But if I'm sitting in a hospital room and I'm heartbroken and I don't know if I'm gonna make it out of that situation, I'll call him pastor. But his first name is Dan. And so each one of these names begin to reveal a part of who he is. And when we get to know like all the different parts of that one guy, then we realize that he's maybe the guy that we need to go for advice. Otherwise we might think, eh, he might be able to help me with this problem. But if we know all his names and titles, then we see, oh no, he would be an ideal person to help with that problem. 
For example, did you know that pastor could also be called sensei? That's right, he taught karate, right? So if you know that, then all of a sudden you might approach him with a different problem that you might not have approached him with before. So say you're having trouble with um, the president of your HOA, he's just driving you nuts with all his rules, you might go, okay, I can go to this guy for a little bit of help, right? Pastor's the one, he can be sent. So you recognize his name, you see him in a different light, all of a sudden you have a different resource. Now multiply that concept by like a zillion, and you're in the position we are with God. The God of this universe is multifaceted, and he has all these different ways that we can explore and get to know him. Sometimes we need to go and access the Father heart of God. But sometimes we need to be reminded that he's the Almighty. And sometimes we need him to come to us as a helper. And sometimes we need him to enter our situation as a warrior. And sometimes we need to be reminded that he's Lord and Master over us all. And as we get to know these different sides, his names, his titles, then all of a sudden we're approaching him in a different way. So God introduces himself to Moses in Exodus chapter three. And Moses, he tells this message, and Moses has been living as a shepherd on the backside of the desert for 40 years. And he says, Moses, I want you to go into the heart of the world power of your generation. I want you to go into the heart of the Egyptian empire, and I want you to announce to their slaves that I'm going to set them free. Now these slaves, incidentally, are his estranged, distant family members. And so Moses is naturally a little uh, skeptical, and he wants to clarify, who is it that's making this promise? And all of this takes place in the exchange in Exodus 3 with Moses standing at the burning bush. Verse 13, it's, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask, What's his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. So from this interaction, we get the idea that one of God's names, his close personal name, what we would in our time probably call his first name, is I am who I am. Now this is the translation, the English translation of the word that he gave. If you were to say the name in Hebrew, you would say Yohevehe. And in English, we, if you want to really nerd out with me, we would translate that as Yahweh. Okay, Yahweh means I am who I am. And this name occurs in the Old Testament 6,800 times in every book of the Bible except for Esther, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. But when you read your Bible in English, they've taken the sacred name of God, Yohevehe, and they have replaced it with a title. And the title is Lord. And they write it with all capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So when you encounter the title Lord, what that is, that is the spot where it said the personal first name of God. And maybe you get this, maybe you realize like your doctor has a first name, but you usually don't call them 
Bob, you, you call them Dr. Brown, right? You refer to them with their title. And so when we're talking about God, the Bible scholars a long time ago made the decision to refer to him in the text as Lord. So when Jesus is talking in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy, sacred, set apart be your name. And so Bible scholars in our generation don't have issue with people pronouncing the name of God, Yahweh. They just want, they encourage people to do it with honor and, and respect. So he is the great I am. But I am what? Who is he really? So let's break this down even further. There were as I began to study this topic and prepare, I read multiple books on this topic of the names of God, and there were well over 30 names that I could have chosen, but the Holy Spirit kind of directed me to the four that we're going to highlight this morning, but you could study for a lifetime on this topic. So the first one being I am who I am. The second one is the Lord who provides, the Lord who provides. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 writes this. He said, and my God will liberally supply Fill and tell full your every need according to his riches in glory. I love this phrasing, liberally supply. In other words, God's not stingy. He, he's not on a budget. He's not crunching the numbers and on a calculator to see if he can afford to meet our needs. He's generous. He's generous, and he can generously supply our every need. How? According to his riches in glory. The same verse in another translation, New Living Translation, says, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs. This same God. Same God, new me. Because I have the right focus in recognizing that God is the one who provides. King David says, The Lord is my shepherd, in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not be lacking. I shall not have an unmet need. The concept of God as a provider is, it unfolded on page one of the Bible. The very first chapter we find God creating the universe, creating man and woman, and putting them in the garden, and the garden provided for all of their needs. And even when they messed up, even when they brought sin into the world, God still provided. He provided the sacrifice to cover their sins in Genesis 3. And he said, I will provide in the future the sacrifice to cover all sin, to cover all sin for all time when I send my son, Jesus. And the apostle Paul points this out in Romans 8. Since he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? I mean, if God was so extravagant and generous to provide salvation through his son, you think he's going to be hard-pressed to lend us five bucks? He's already gone over and above in what he's willing to do. Throughout Scripture, we learn that God provides in even the most desperate of circumstances. He has the resources, and he doesn't abandon his children. And so if you have a need this morning, if it's a financial need or an emotional need, a physical need or a spiritual need, you have a God who knows about your needs, cares about him, and is willing to come to your rescue. Jesus said in Matthew 6, your father knows what you need before you even ask. So if he knows, might as well just ask. I know a lot of people that think, hey, I'm not going to ask God. 
because I don't want to bother him with my needs. I can pray for other people, but it's really hard for me to pray for myself and the things that I need. But did you know that just asking God is an act of worship? It's a sign of trust. Like, for example, I never ask, would never ask my kids for 100 bucks because I know they don't have it. They don't have it. They don't have access to it, right? But, but I would ask someone who has it if, if they could help me out. And so when we go to God and we say, these are my needs, what we're saying is we have trust and confidence that God has it, has access to it, cares about us enough to bring it to us or give it to us. It's an act of worship to acknowledge him as a provider by asking for the things that we need. So in 2024, I think it's so important that we show trust and confidence in God and the God who will provide. The third name that, of God that I want to study this morning is Prince of Peace. And this comes from Isaiah chapter 9. It says, For unto us a son, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So right there in that verse, there's four great names of God that we could spend tons of time studying. But the one that leapt out to me as I was prepping for this was Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This means he rules and he reigns over the peace in our life. That he sets the boundaries that he brings peace to us when we cling to him and trust him. And the English word for peace is so lame compared to the Hebrew word that's really there, which is shalom. Shalom means nothing missing and nothing broken. It speaks of a wholeness, a completeness, a safety, a perfection, a wellness. And so when, when God says he gives us peace, he means nothing missing, nothing broken. And when we live in harmony with God, then all of a sudden we're living in harmony with God, and then that puts us in harmony with others, which opens up the floodgate of God's peace, of his wholeness, of his protection, his provision, his health. It all flows out of the same source of our connection with God. Another place that we see the Lord as the bringer of peace and the Lord of all peace is in Judges chapter 6. Now, in this era of Scripture, what's happening is the people of Israel are under siege. And Gideon is just a guy in the nation of Israel. And their entire nation is being raided by the Midianites. The Midianites live in the mountains nearby, and what they do is they just randomly in small groups come in, attack individual villages, and pillage and steal everything of value, and then rush back to the mountains before Israel can mount a response. And this happens village after village, week after week, until there's nothing left in Gideon's nation. And all the people are frustrated, they're depressed, they're hopeless, they're beaten down. And they lack the resources that they would need to like do anything about these raiding groups coming in and stealing. Because every time they build just a little bit up for themselves, all of a sudden something comes and just knocks it down. Have you ever felt that way? Like every time you get up again, every time you build just a little momentum, boom, something else comes and just knocks you down. Gideon's people had no peace. They had no hope. And then in Judges chapter 6, God shows up on the scene, and God invites Gideon to partner with him and to fight back against the Midianites and their raiding. But Gideon, he has no confidence that this is even God speaking to him. He's wondering if it's the burrito he ate for dinner the night before, and so he tests God. 
And he has this conversation with God throughout Judges chapter 6, and the conversation kind of comes to an end in verse 23, and that's where I want to start. It says, The Lord said to him, Peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. So in this exchange, God reveals that peace is possible even in the most devastating of circumstances because the Lord himself is peace. It's not that God has peace. It's not that God has peace to hand out. It's saying the Lord himself actually is peace. And so God is calling Gideon to war. He's saying, get up and fight. Go to war. Go to battle. Get up and fight for your people. Go to war but be at peace. Go to war, but be at peace. And so that lets us know that despite our circumstances, that we can have peace. Because we can go into a fight and still have peace in our hearts when we have our connection with God. So regardless of what we see or think or feel, we can have peace because we can have the Lord. Isaiah 26 says, you will keep in perfect and constant peace those whose mind is steadfast, that is, committed and focused on you in both inclination and character. Focused. Having the right focus is how we get there. What is this peace, this shalom, right? The wholeness, the, the safety, the wellness. And what circumstances are required to have that kind of peace? Second Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times in every situation. The Lord be with you all. So at all times and every situation, we can have this peace. I spend a lot of time trying to get my circumstances to be peaceful. Like if I can just get this planned out and this organized, and if I can just get these people over here on the page that these people over here are on, then I will have my life and my people at peace. But my ducks are never that gathered, and there's certainly no rows involved. And so if that's the truth, then how do I get peace? Peace does not come from circumstances. It doesn't come because we have external details of our life lined up. Peace comes to our life because we have an alignment in our soul with the God of peace. And he brings that peace because he himself is that peace. The fourth name that God reveals for himself that we're going to have time to study for today is this, that he is the God of all comforts. The God of all comfort. John 14, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit and he tells us that the Holy Spirit is our comforter, that he provides comfort, and that he is the ever-present help in time of need. And so we can have this close personal connection with the Holy Spirit that brings us comfort. And the Apostle Paul says it outright in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles. So he's the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all of our troubles. Yeah, the troubles we brought on ourselves, 
The troubles we cause with our bad decisions, yes, he comforts us in those. And he comforts us in the ones that we didn't even see coming, that blindsided us, that had nothing to do with us. It just nailed us from the side. He comforts us in the troubles that make no sense. He comforts us in the troubles that we encounter no matter how we got into that level of trouble. He's the comfort. And what we have to do is we have to run to him for safety and comfort in every storm. The Lord always, hasn't always been the first place that I go to for comfort. If I'm really honest, I would say sometimes I go to the comfort of my friends. I go to the comfort of social media. I go to the comfort of um, chocolate or soda or maybe coffee. I go to the comfort of people who agree with me. I go to the comfort of the familiar or the easy. But those things might provide a small amount of comfort, a temporary comfort, but the truth is they, they never really fill my deep need for comfort. It's temporary. But when I need true and lasting comfort, the only real place to go for that is to turn to the Lord. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I felt in my heart that there were some people that are just sitting here waiting for comfort to come to them. Like someone stole the comfort from their lives. Maybe it was an ex, maybe it was a parent that's long gone, maybe it was a workplace situation, but their comfort was just ripped out from them. And they're just waiting, waiting for someone to be like, here's your comfort back. Some kind of thing, apology, something to restore comfort. But what I heard the Lord speak in my heart was, he's the comfort. That he or she who stole the comfort cannot return the comfort. The comfort comes from the Lord alone. Psalm 147 says, He heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. God has always been these things. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. For every generation, He is the great I Am. He is the Lord who provides. He is the God of all comfort. He is the peace. He was those things last year and the year before and the year before that. But we have to decide, are we going to go to him for that comfort, for that peace, for that provision? Are we going to allow him to be the great I am in our lives? Because I believe that God is, is saying, I am. I'm the source of all the stuff, all the things that you've been looking for. I am the source. I believe that he's saying he wants to give us peace and comfort. He, he wants to provide. He wants to do all of those things in our life, but he's waiting for us to stop trying to build comfort for ourselves as an idol, but to seek after him and allow him to comfort. To stop trying to create peace with the work of our hands, but to turn to him for the peace that we really need. He's saying what's going to make 2024 new isn't, me being any different, same God. It's me. It's me as a person that becomes different by trusting in who he's always been. There's another title. It's not in my notes, but the title is Lord. And I think I would be amiss to end this service without talking about this idea that he is Lord. Lord, Master, Ruler. And maybe you've been coming to church for a while, or maybe this is one of the first times you've been at church, but each individual person has to stop at some point in their life and evaluate. Is he the Lord? Is he the boss? Is he the master? Is he the decision maker in my life or not? 
And that's a question each person has to answer. No one can answer for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're in this room today and you're not sure who's the Lord of your life, sometimes it's you and sometimes it's God. Sometimes it's pursuit of comfort or peace that that drives you, but each one of us has to decide, no, I make Jesus Christ the Lord, the master, the ruler. He's my God. I've heard it said that each person ultimately makes one decision, and that decision is, who's your God? And once you choose your God, that God makes the choices for you. And so if you're here this morning and you realize, I haven't asked Jesus to be my Lord, or I've asked him, but I haven't let him, but you'd like to allow Jesus to be your Lord and Savior from this day forward, would you just slip up your hand? I'm making Jesus my Lord. He's the master. He's the ruler. Yes. For the benefit of those who've raised their hand, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, you are the Lord. You're the master and ruler of my life from this day forward. I'm sorry for not allowing you before. And I'm sorry for the mistakes that I made. Be my God. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, thank you, church family. We love you, and we'll see you next Sunday morning. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text the word fellowship to 94000 and connect with our staff today. Now, if you're in need of prayer, we'd love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting prayer support to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. And as always, we're still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week in person or online.